0: ComBank Health. We understand that health professionals set up a practice to look after patients, not take care of practice admin. That's why our new Smart Health system lets you streamline your payments by handling rebates and reporting, giving you more time for your patients, yourself, and the ones you love. Search ComBank Smart Health to find out more. Applications subject to conditions, fees, charges and lending criteria. Commonwealth Bank of Australia ABN 48123124 and Australian Credit Licence 234945.
1: Hey, welcome to the MediCubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting, and sometimes challenging in primary health care.
2: I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends, Kim Poyner and Rupka Hagen. Together, we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being the thick of what's going on in our industry.
0: We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds, and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join
1: us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest, and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way.
0: In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. A hearty welcome from Verapai country. And uh, Rifka
1: Hagan here. I'm meeting you from Jaja country.
2: And a big hello from Turrbal and Jagera country.
0: Well, welcome everybody. Today we are talking about all things team based care and, and looking at that multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary approach when we provide care to our communities. And before we kick off, I'd love to just welcome back my team members here, Chris and Riff, and allow them to say a big hearty hi to everyone. Hello. Hello, Kim. Great to see you. <laughs>
1: You too, Chris.
2: <laughs> we made it to another episode, so yeah. that's always an achievement. Every time we get another one out the door, I'm going to take the win, so that's really exciting to be back with you all today.
0: Yeah, and today's topic came about because we're seeing a lot of workforce shortages. We're seeing that a lot of clinics out there are really stretched in terms of what they have capacity and capability and and, you know, hands and feet in clinics particularly. And what I've really been seeing a lot of is the need to look at scopes of practice and where we can diversify roles and make sure that we're really utilising our teams in an optimal way. And one thing that I've been particularly passionate about, and I know that you have as well, Riff, is nurse clinics. You know, starting to get nurses working within their scope of practice. The Australian Primary Nurse Association, you and I, we said in our origin story of the work that we did there in in starting to look at, you know, how can we get more nurse-led clinics in Australia and what systems and protocols and steps along the way is gonna be really useful for people in clinics to, to think about when they're putting those together. Tell me more about your role in that budgeting tool that you you developed for that role, Rivka.
1: Thanks, Kim. So getting the right person to do the right activity within our practices is uh, one of the ways in in which we can achieve better outcomes all around. So, you know, rather than seeing the care delivery and the systems as being only driven by the the GP, who of course is the coordinator in all of these activities, that they are seen as the the central, but certainly not the only participant in the care that patients receive. And we know that because the Medicare structure around service delivery is very strict and very stringent, that we need to be very careful around how we actually undertake these activities. So that's where the, the budget planning kind of came along to both prompt practices to think more broadly about, well, how could we be doing our activities a little bit more differently so that we do really tap into that scope of practice of everybody within the practice team? And of course, that includes practice managers, it includes reception staff, and it most certainly includes um, our nursing staff and allied health providers, more broadly, the specialists too, of course. So the budget planner which is released through through APNA as well, really allows practices to have some of those data inputs, and I know Chris will have a lot more to say about this too, to kind of see, well, if you know our nurse spends, say, 30 minutes developing a care plan with a patient and then hands that back over to the GP to finalise, what are the numbers around that? So what is the cost involved with the nurse actually undertaking that activity? What is the Medicare fees that are associated with that and then finally working out well does the Medicare rebate actually cover the cost of what we're trying to achieve or are we really needing to look at introducing some private billing and we know a lot of that is already happening too. So it's a reasonably sort of complex little spreadsheet even though it's, it's reasonably simple to use but it looks at all of the inputs versus all of the outputs. So what monies are coming in and what expenses are associated with with actually providing that service. And of course, the key component of that is the fee that the GP will take from the billing structure that usually sits around care planning. And then looking very carefully at what what does that mean if our nurse spends half an hour with the patient? What does it mean if we need to purchase equipment or we have other ongoing costs? So it just allows us to do a bit of rough modelling to ensure that we land on something that before anything else is sustainable and is not going to cost the practice more money than it's able to generate. So from that that, that viability point of view, that's what the budget planner is, is all about. And in the show notes, there'll be uh, links to that particular um, item. Chris, what about you? Oh, look,
2: I think that's music to my ears. I love it because I think sometimes our nurses were doing such amazing work. Our team-based care was happening, but we actually weren't accrediting the amazing wins to it. Mm. and understanding this is what's generated for the clinic, this is what it cost us, it was a bit invisible. And we know, and I know I've said a lot before, when something's invisible, how do we measure it? How do we know what was going on? How do we celebrate the wins? So that's something that I'm I'm really, it's awesome to see. And I've been loving to see the practices have also been using it as a way to, and different models and different spreadsheets all around around, to have a conversation with the doctors as the service providers about what the the distribution is based on those. So whether, you know, the traditional 60-40, 70-30 split works in a nurse-led item number. Um, A lot of clinics are now saying the 10997s, the practice will take the entire fee. So, you know, be careful with payroll tax taking 100% of the fee. But we're sort of using it to sort of say, this can't just happen as team-based care over here and the money happens over here. They're intertwined. And I think actually COVID vaccines was a great way to actually prompt that conversation because we saw how well our nurse-led COVID clinics, vaccine clinics worked. um, And we saw that a lot of patients weren't seeing the doctor. So when clinics work backwards actually saw that, saw the actual dollar value of that, it was was pretty
1: powerful, don't you think, Riv? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we we certainly did the do the work with the, the COVID vaccination modeler, which kind of has a little bit of similarity to the sort of nurse-based clinic modeling as well. And I would absolutely echo what you're saying there in terms of you can't have same, same if you're going to be throwing your service delivery into a different space. And I guess I've certainly been advocate for being sort of reasonably provocative in uh, demonstrating that if the gp is taking a step back from doing all of the care planning work associated with that then there does need to be a review of how does the remuneration sit behind that to ensure again that we have a service that remains viable in the longer term and again just that budget planning allows you to very clearly identify where that viability lies and therefore to be able to have the conversations around what does the modelling tell us we need to do in order to make this successful. What are your thoughts, Kim?
0: Yeah, I just really think we we can't underestimate that we have to see the the value and the financial side of things. But also, Professional satisfaction, right? Making sure that people are feeling like they're contributing, they're using their brains and their skills to their optimal level. And I just actually did a recording last week, a little filming of a practice that actually had some, yeah, on the Healthy North Coast Catchment. One practice particularly, I trained all the nurses in care planning right? What components are nurses going to contribute? And then what's the GP's role in that, right? And then some motivational interviewing techniques and behaviour change for patient engagement. And what I loved particularly about what they captured in terms of the interviewing was that the nurses actually went and then taught the doctors what I'd trained them in, right? But now they've been doing this for three years and they've been role modelling it to other practices that they've been purchasing and then they also captured a clinic that was just starting to have these discussions on how do we actually not just have our nurses doing treatment room work, but how can we start to get a dedicated nurse-led clinic going? And, and what, again, would be the division of labour, so to speak? And the nurses were so, so excited that they will be going to be able to utilise their skills in an area that they felt that was going to be really worthwhile to their community. What other types have you sort of seen in terms of team-based care, Chris?
2: Oh, look, I, I've seen it, particularly our allied health, becoming such a crucial part of our team-based care. And I think the number one thing I've loved seeing that is better patient outcomes. And I know it's hard to measure that, but it just seems like patients, you know, from a front desk point of view, are happier that everything happens in their practice. They trust who's there. They don't have to retell the whole story because there's a different set of notes. But you can also go to the tea room at lunchtime and our podiatrists and our physiotherapists and our doctors are not just case conferencing and talking about patients, they're having a fabulous laugh together. And they tell other places what a great place we are to work. And it just creates this atmosphere that I think we can sometimes lose in this sort of modern room rental uh, way of working in general practice. That, That I think, you know, we can't underestimate that what you said there, Kim, about the the professional validity and the happiness that comes with working in a team. We're also seeing teams uh, particularly start to work out as a group of nursing, and particularly talking from a nursing point of view, how can we specialise in what we do within our practice? So there might be people who have a real interest in wounds, but there might be people who have a real interest in chronic disease management. There might be you know, a young nurse and loving doing over 75 health assessments. How can we give people a path in general practice to where their passion lies? Because we know how hard recruitment is and retention is, But if people are getting to work on something they love, that's a good thing. You know, you might have a nurse who's a bit done in the treatment room, had enough time in the treatment room over the years, keen to sort of get to know these patients. And you start to create a secondary relationship in the practice. So no longer just a relationship between patient and doctor, but patient and nurse. And they can be just as excited to see that nurse and particularly engage them around that. Riv?
1: Yeah, look, I've got a, a really sort of clean example of this too in, in the practice that I uh, worked with some time ago, where one of the nurses was a a credentialed cervical screening nurse, and she was dead keen on creating a well women's clinic within the practice that kind of stood on its own two feet. So what she had envisaged was providing an evening service so for all the working women that they were able to rock up on a weekday in the evening because that's when working women have time to attend to their health needs and her idea was to provide not just a cervical screening service but a, a women's health check more broadly. So she mapped this out and we used a budget planner to kind of work out well okay how's this going to work um, and what we landed on was a service where she booked uh, half hour appointments with every patient and it was a purely Private billing service. There was no Medicare fee attached to this whatsoever. And at that time, um, I believe the fee was around about $35, $40 for a half hour appointment with the nurse. She also worked alongside the GP so that should she require a referral onto a GP that there was someone there who was able to step in if that was needed. That would then attract a Medicare-rebatable component for that service as well, but that was not part of the modelling. And so it was unique in that the proof of the pudding was will women choose to pay out of their pocket for a service that's going to look after their health or will they not? And I've got to say that um, it took very little time for the word to get out to say this is actually a very different service to what patients are expecting when they're coming to see a GP where generally it's, you know, sort of reasonably fast, a little bit quick in and out. You're here for the service. Let's, you know, let's provide that and, and off you go. And this was a more holistic approach to delivering service. And we included evaluation of the services with, with the women who attended too. And we were just sort of blown away by how high the need was for exactly this kind of service. And this is quite a few years ago. I know that a lot of practices are now sort of looking at um, you know private fees and, and being a little bit more innovative. But this was already the case quite a long time ago, and already there was a need there then. So I'm hoping that this sort of little anecdote will just give a little bit of confidence for practices to think more broadly about what the opportunities are for, um, for service delivery.
0: Yeah, I just think that that's just brilliant. You know, I think that when we are thinking about team-based approaches, we're always thinking it needs to be something to do with Medicare. How can we make it work with Medicare? And, you know, step outside of that. I like that you said that it's an innovative way of working. And I've just seen this recently with an exercises medicine program and everyone's like, oh, how do we get Medicare to kind of make this happen. And one of the practices that I worked with in terms of their modelling for it, they went, well, actually, we're going to get the patients to contribute for this service because, you know, they're coming in and they're having some fantastic one-on-one time. And if you go to the gym or you go out and do um, sort of a, a group exercise program. You you pay for that. And it's a nominal fee that the patients were contributing. It was nothing too remarkable. It was fifteen dollars per session. But we did some modeling around how can we get that exercise physiologist paid for in terms of their time, and then use, utilizing things such as case conferencing to report back to the team. You know, the GP did the handover and the referral, or the nurse may have done it from the care planning, and then they do one at the end, sort of wrap up and say what the progress was, what the outcome was for the client, you know, providing, uh, joining into this exercise as medicine group. Um, I know there's another practice that's actually taken the same approach and they said, well, we're going to actually have a panel. We're going to have a panel of people, and this speaks to what you were talking about before, Chris, about having a one-stop shop. You know, they're going to have a panel of a psychologist, a social worker an allied health, like an EP or a physio, depending on who is available on the day, a dietitian, a diabetes educator. Can you imagine someone having a case conference with all of those specialties in there, giving their perspective on how they can assist a client to reach their goals in terms of quality of life? So in terms of really novel things that you've seen and approaches with team-based care, what have you seen, Chris, out there in, in general practice land?
2: Yeah, look, um, the emergence of huddles, I think, is something that we've probably in a general practice borrowing from our dental colleagues uh, quite heavily. A lot of dental clinics, we each day get together every morning and talk about who's coming in today and what services can we provide to them. And uh, I know a lot of general practices through COVID really started focusing on that, but also using huddles to keep everyone up to date across way of working and, and understanding. From a data point of view, I love it because you get everyone around and you get people talking about what services can we provide to our patients today and also what services can we provide to our patients today that we can bill for. And that's really important because we're not just here for the love of it. We have to get paid for our work. And we have to understand, too, that when we're getting together, having a huddle, um, and I'm sure you guys can talk about the actual running of the huddles better than me, but talking about, look, how can we use the schedule with the patients that are presenting today to be able to bill for the care we provide to them? But normally that's tied to a better patient outcome, which is really, really important. So one I love is just looking at who's coming in today, who's eligible for a 10997. Because it's a great way to re-engage a patient. It also means you can build Medicare. It also means that, you know, you get those notes in there really well to sort of tie into that review. Um, so I love the 10997s. And I think huddles are a great way to sort of prompt that for the day um, with what's happening.
0: Yeah, fantastic.
1: There's something around that simplicity of communication, isn't there, that for all of our fancy systems, sometimes simply having a conversation with a team around you actually gets big results, doesn't
0: it?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Team around you, the diary opened up, have a look at what's happening.
0: Yeah, and I think it speaks to the why of why we're doing those sorts of activities. Sometimes I think, you know, when people just send out an email or say, hey, everyone, look for the optimization of an item number. If they don't have a strong why, a reason to do it, and an understanding of why they're doing that, then, you know, often those things just get left and put to the side, right? They
1: do. So I'd love to uh, lead into some of the questions that we have received around uh, team-based care. And Jenny from South Australia has put to us How would we go about starting a wound care clinic in our practice? Uh, Kim, I
0: think this is one for you. Yeah, well, this is um, a a really nice piece of work that you can step through on the Australian Primary Nurse Association um, website with looking at how do we do the modelling and the systems and the processes. But one thing you really want to make sure that your nurses are trained in this. Um, there's a particular project that I'm doing at the moment that's on wound-based care. And a lot of the the stepping stones or the first ticket items that the practices are doing is getting their nurses educated in understanding the etiology, understanding, you know, what is it that I need to put on it rather than, you know, what's happening? When do I need to refer on, etc. And using telehealth, right, to, to get some kind of um, recommendation for someone who might be sitting in a local health district or sitting in a a community hospital that can actually have a look and assess wounds as well rather than waiting too late right but making sure a you get the training so that the person that's actually doing the assessing has the trainings and scope of practice to actually undertake it what about from your perspective with with dollars how how might they punch up some numbers there make it viable? yeah look I think you know
1: one of the key considerations, as far as wound care clinics is concerned, is the cost associated with the consumables that are used uh, within, you know, providing wound care services. Again, using a, a budget planner, you'll be able to to model what a wound care clinic might might be costing you, and where do you need to sort of recoup some of the cost of uh, of the consumables? Especially, I don't know whether there's going to be some changes to way that Medicare is sort of structuring these items. There's certainly chatter about that and we will sort of park that until we have more clarity around that. But again, just the complexity around, can you charge for some of these items? Well, not if you're bulk billing the service and, you know, what is the service? Is the service the one that the doctor provides or the nurse provides? There's a fair lack of complexity around how all of that fits together. But certainly you've been wanting to look at what sorts of wounds are being treated and what are the costs associated with the consumables that go along with it. Do you expect your patients to perhaps go out to a pharmacy and purchase the material that's going to be used in managing this wound ahead of the service so that that's something that the practice doesn't need to worry about? That's one option. Or uh, does the practice actually want to... Be really proactive in this and, and have the range of materials available within the practice to be able to treat a wound according to what it needs today at this point in time, rather than making the patient go here, go there, go everywhere. That's inconvenient as well. So I don't know that there's sort of a, a right or wrong answer, but these are all the considerations that practices would need to have a think about as they are ideating about the service that they're going to be providing. And so I think there are lots of options uh, going forward, but all of it needs to be spelled out really clearly. I think another component of this, which is really important, is patient consent. So no matter what pathway you determine is going to be the way that you're going to develop this service, make sure that patients understand how this is going to roll out, there is nothing worse than having patients come in not knowing how a service is going to be delivered and having staff who are also not clear about what they're doing and and how they're going to go about it. So clarity around what you're going to do, being very intentional about it, and then sticking with that plan and making sure that uh, everybody is clear along those communication pathways. Chris, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's also really important to just realize that this is a change in your business. This is a change in how you operate that. This is a fantastic quality improvement project. And if you're going to do this, put in the right place a framework that we all know so well, our PDSAs or whatever framework works for your clinic, and actually then evaluate, did this have an impact for all the effort that we put into this? Because we often do things in general practice and we make amazing things happen, but we don't celebrate the win. So find out what those key indicators are that will show that this has been a success. Um, So you can celebrate that with your team, but also keep iterating on it and making it better and better and learning from it. And don't be sort of afraid to say, well, this worked, but this bit didn't. So we're going to try this. And sometimes putting in place that quality improvement framework can give you something solid to look at, but also takes any emotion out of it a bit too. Because someone is probably going to be championing this. Someone in your practice is committing time and effort to it. They're going to feel really proud and probably a bit protective of what they're doing. So putting in place that quality improvement framework can give you a really good way to look at it. How's it going? Is it working? How can we make it better? And the one other thing is to just always remember that because you decide to do something doesn't mean you should stop always doing something else. So because you start to start running a wound clinic doesn't mean stop doing CDM. You you know what I mean? You have to be aware of there's all competing demands within your practice. And that can sometimes come back to knowing what is your patient's need? What is their demand for in your clinic and matching to that? Kim, what do you reckon?
0: Yeah, I really agree with that. And, and, you know, this comes to David from Northern Territory. He's got a question about that capacity. Um, you know, what about satellite sites? Putting nurses or a team out in an, another area off site from your facility. What sorts of things have you seen, Riff, from your perspectives? Have you seen any satellite sites that have been really effective?
1: Look, I guess the cleanest example of that would have to be both COVID vaccination as well as influenza vaccination clinics, which are often undertaken offsite in workplaces or or at schools or other locations as well. And look, again, I think you know, practices need to look at, well, what are the needs within your communities? That are suitable for delivering off-site services as well. I guess one of my main thinking points around any off-site service is around risk that is introduced by going away from your key site, so making sure that you're very clean and clear about what are the things that could go wrong and, and have you adequately planned for those when you are not within your main location. For example, with, with flu vaccination, you'd be thinking about ensuring that there is adequacy around sort of anaphylaxis control and the like. But there can be other risks that need to be looked at and it you know, can do with the infrastructure with you know what, what are the facilities that you've got available and is that actually going to be adequate for the service uh, that you're going to be providing? Another sort of really novel service that I've seen as well is in the provision of sort of youth services, and that can often be provided within schools. There have been funding programs around that as well. So delivering services in a space that's really appropriate for your clientele in a space that they feel safe in. So, you know, youth-focused services are another really good example of off-site services that, that could really have some big impacts on health outcomes for for young people.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, we've seen telehealth, haven't we? We've seen people doing that remote kind of workforce during COVID as well and and thank goodness they kept that there for CDM sort of workflows. But I've also seen care planning and health assessments, you know, health assessments done in the home. And you said the nurse, you know, isn't actually employed by the general practice, I've seen them being contractors that have been offering that as as a service delivery and also care planning as well. If a little town actually can't have a lot of their community members drive to where the general practice is, I've seen a little satellite site set up there for some care planning remotely as well. So, you know, just allowing better access and and thinking about who your consumers are. And what about you, Chris?
2: I think it's just something that we've seen across many industries over the last two years, it's the physical site doesn't necessarily equate to service anymore. Mm. And I know in our complex Medicare paradigm of billing, that can sometimes be a bit tough, but you know, no longer is it about rooms. It's about where the service can be best provided to people. And one other really awesome thing I've seen is actually, I know a few clinics where the doctor now spends one day less in the clinic doing telehealth because the room is more important for the nurse to be doing things with patients on those days that they need to have that physical face-to-face with. So I think gone are the days of a room belonging to someone or a satellite site belonging to someone. It's uh, definitely wide open.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So that wraps us up for today's talk on team-based care. I've really enjoyed thinking about different ways that we can, can work and more in that interdisciplinary, more as that collaborative and more as effective team members to make sure that everyone's really working to their optimal level and their passion points. So thanks so much for everyone having good listening today. Hopefully you've enjoyed our discussion on team-based care. And I want to thank my good friends, Chris and Rifka, for giving us all insights into their knowledge and thoughts on team-based care as well.
1: Thanks for listening to the MediCubes podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your favourite podcast listening app so you don't miss an episode. MediCubes is brought to you by Cubico, MediCoach, and Medical Business Services, with technical support from the awesome crew at Talking Health Tech. This podcast presents information of a general nature, and we recommend that you obtain professional advice for your individual circumstances always. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future topics on the show, make sure you visit us via the Minicubes website, which you can access via the show notes of this episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with someone who might get some value from it so we can continue to share these important messages with more people. Speak to you next time.